Now they say it's a breach of homiletics to take two texts. But I'm more interested in the scripture than I am in homiletics. And I want you to quote two scriptures with me. First James 5.16. Everybody quote it. Where is it? James 5.16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much. Altogether. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, what about the prayer of an unrighteous man? Does it avail anything? If a man hasn't been regenerated, can he pray to God? I hear thousands of people talk about prayer. Their prayer never got any higher than their head. There's only one prayer, and that was before the cross of Calvary, God be merciful to me a sinner, and you don't pray that now because that was before Christ died. You don't have to pray for salvation. You don't have to work for salvation. You receive salvation by grace through faith, and then you immediately become righteous in God's sight. Then what? The effectual, fervent prayer altogether. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Now let's change the word man to woman. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous woman availeth much. It's my honest conviction that there are three righteous women that are effectual, fervent prayers to every man. I'll never forget what William R. Newell said, and I believe it's true. He said the middle-aged evangelical women of America are the backbone of the church because of their prayer. If the men were as faithful in prayer as women, not all of them, but I mean women who pray. Now the other is Philippians 4, 6, and uh, what a time for that. With all of these collisions in the air and all this talk about atomic bomb and all this, uh, you know, more people are going to the insane asylum today than ever before. There's a great race, I understand, yesterday from the announcement, whether there are more mental cases or heart trouble. They too lead, those two lead all disease heart disease, and the mind. There are more people in the mental institutes than ever before. In this time of trouble, some people are looking to the world, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and about every other vacant store, the moment it is uh, not occupied, the next thing in there is a tavern. And people are trying to drink their way into forgetting their troubles. There's so much trouble on the earth. Did you notice that there hasn't been one day in 60 days that there hasn't been a fatal fire in which somebody was burned up? Did you ever hear in all your life of so many sudden deaths? And that's not only true because of the increased number, but percentage-wise, it's true. God is speaking out loud to the human race. But it's a great thing to know this, not just to quote it like a Paul Parrot, but to believe it. 
Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. Do you think God meant that? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And then you can enjoy as you experience the peace of God that passeth all understanding. How we do need that today. Now the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Lord Jesus Christ is called Jesus Christ the righteous. He had quite a little to say about prayer. And he left us some examples of prayer. But the Apostle Paul said three times as much about prayer as the Lord Jesus Christ. No one ever said as much about prayer and gave the importance to prayer as the Apostle Paul. To five different, in five of his epistles, he called their attention that he never failed to make mention of them in his prayer. He practiced what he preached. He said, pray always. And he prayed always. Now, if your life is saturated with prayer, you can be washing dishes. I don't care what you're doing. You can be saturated with prayer. So every moment or two, you'll be giving praise unto the Lord, and you'll be asking God. When you're riding in your automobile, about every two blocks, you ought to say, Lord, take care of me, and praise the Lord and pray. Now, Jesus Christ the righteous, in the 22nd chapter of Luke, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said uh, concerning Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee, that he might sift thee as wheat. And I have prayed the Father that thy faith fail not. Now I'm sure that you and I are not as important as Peter. But the Lord would like to sift every one of us, uh, or save us from being sifted Satan, as he said, he hath desired thee, that he might sift thee as wheat. I have prayed the Father, that thy faith fail not. That means, of course, when you're not faithful in prayer, you're not going to be faithful in service. If I would ask everyone in this room who's ashamed of your prayerless life to bow your heads in confession, Every head in this place would go down. For God says, Him that knoweth to do right, doeth it not, to him it is sin. And after the Lord prayed 
For Simon, he prayed for himself. If you compare the 26th chapter of Matthew with the 22nd chapter of Luke, you'll find that the Lord Jesus Christ fell down on the ground with his face on the ground. And while he was praying, blood came out of the pores of his skin. He was resisting sin, striving against sin under the shedding of blood. And he prayed. He said, Father, is it possible that I can be saved from Calvary? Can I be saved from betrayal by Judas? Must I let my people nail me to the cross of Calvary? If it's possible, let this cup fall from my lips. But it wasn't possible. Because he had already said, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. You remember when Satan took him up on a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He says, you get down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus Christ wouldn't have had anybody to reign over if he'd accepted the kingdom then. He's going to get the kingdom. But there was a twofold program for Jesus Christ. One, he had to go to the cross of Calvary and the other had to go to the throne of David. And when he goes to the throne of David, Satan will be in the bottomless pit and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. But his first uh, ministry was to go to the cross of Calvary. So he prayed. And then when he went to the cross of Calvary, we have one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. And by the way, it's very interesting to study the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 23, 34, with the prayer of Stephen when he was being stoned to death. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now I want to say that even the heathen today who've never heard of Christ, God's never Christ is not praying for them. After he prayed that prayer, he never prayed any more for the unsaved. That was his last prayer for the unsaved. After that, his prayer, he went to heaven and he prays only for the saved. But think of that prayer of his murderers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had wept over them. And you remember Jeremiah 31, 3? I have loved Israel with an everlasting love. Not for Israel's sake, but for the sake of Abraham, my friend. So he prayed for them. And then when the same people who wanted to stone Christ to death, but they were afraid of the people, turned him over to Pilate, they didn't do that with Stephen. They stoned Stephen to death, and when he was dying, Stephen said in the last verse, last two verses of the seventh of Acts, Lay not this to their charge. Isn't that wonderful? 
You know, there are three reasons why God extended his mercy to Israel after he died on the cross. First was because his death was inevitable and had to be. Second, because of the intercessory prayer of Christ on the cross and the prayer of Stephen. Stephen in the seventh is the uh, unfolding of Luke 19.10, where a certain nobleman went into a far country to get a kingdom and to return. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ went to heaven for first, not to establish the church, but to get a kingdom in return. And that message was made known by Stephen, who said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, in order, he, uh, he just confirmed the prayer of the Lord so that God would continue to extend his mercy to Israel. And he said, Lay not this to their charge. Now, if the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, let's go. First to the 17th chapter of John. I'm going to have to give you some chapters here. But uh, surely this is the one that's all important for us. Now, we've heard of the Lord's Prayer, and we have a song, the Lord's Prayer. That is not the Lord's Prayer. That is the prayer of the Lord's disciples in the tribulation. The Lord's Prayer is in the 17th chapter of John. You ought to read it uh, from 100 to 1,000 times. And as you read it, remember what the Lord said when he prayed at Lazarus' tomb. Father, thou dost always hear me. Thou dost always hear me. Well, did he hear him when he said, If it be possible, let this cup fall from my lips? Yes. But he went to the cross. We go back to the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis where it says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And Abraham went to the Lord. He had a relative over in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he began to pray. And he had a face-to-face, heart-to-heart talk with God. He said, Is there any condition under which you will spare Sodom and Gomorrah? If there be fifty righteous, will you save them? Yes. And he went on down. And there were not ten righteous in the place. Lot is called that just man. Because God, by his grace, had saved Job, uh, had saved Lot. His wife, you remember, turned to a pillar of salt. But Lot went out. Now God, in a way... Listen to the prayer of Abraham. He didn't, he didn't answer it. But all of this prayer is going to be answered. In the 17th chapter of John, now we'll take it for granted that this afternoon you're going to look into it and study it. What a prayer. What a prayer. Notice what he says in the ninth verse of the 17th of John. I pray for them. What's the next statement? I pray not for the world. I pray not for the world. 
I pray not for the world. We're to pray to the world. We're to go in Christ's name and say, I pray you be reconciled to God. We're living in the day of grace. When our commission is the ministry of reconciliation, that God set Israel aside and he committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation, and we go to the sinner and say, all that needs to be done has been done. That's the reason we have the Lord's table. When the Son of God died on the cross of Calvary, though he knew no sin, he was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what we remember this morning. So we do the prayer, but Christ said, I pray not for the world. Notice. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are what? Thine. Don't you see, my dear friend, you don't belong to God unless you belong to Christ, except in, as in him we all live and move our and have our being, and every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Notice what he says. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but those, these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. Here is God's prayer, the Lord's prayer. I don't want my women in a nunnery. I don't want my men in a monastery. And I don't want them to go out in some religious community where everybody is spiritual and love the Lord. What do you think of the people that move away from Chicago and move out where there's some lovely environment? What's going to happen to Chicago? What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah when the people moved out? And this world is headed for Sodom and Gomorrah, we're told in Second Peter. He said Sodom and Gomorrah was a sample of what God's going to do to the world again with fire and brimstone. He said, don't take them out of the world. Paul gives you the picture in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. He says, go right in the midst of fornication and ungodliness and walk and live as become a saint. He doesn't want you separated into a religious colony. He wants you in the midst of a wicked world to be shining lights in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation. A shining light holding forth the word of life. It's a strange thing. They'll move out of a community here that needs the Lord, and then they'll give hundreds of dollars to send money over to the foreign field to get the colored people saved. Strange, isn't it? All right, now notice what he said. 20th verse. How many people on this earth are going to heaven because they believe John 3.16? 
More people will be in heaven because of the preaching of John 3.16 than any text in the Bible, I'm sure, along with the other one, except a man be born again, that John wrote. And John wrote, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. And now notice what the prayer is. 20th verse, Neither I pray for these alone, but for them which, that, which shall believe on me through their word. I didn't know very much about Pauline truth or the dispensation of grace of God when I was saved. I do remember what uh, a great conviction that came upon me when I first heard where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But notice this. He's praying for everyone who has been saved by hearing John 3.16 or anything else in John or anything written by Matthew or any of the other, Peter or any of the other apostles, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will they also whom thou hast given me be where? Be with me. Why? that they may behold my glory. Father, thou always heareth me. He's prayed that we may be there. Will God answer that prayer? Now when you read about the one here, then think of what Paul said when he said, put on the whole armor of God. Take the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Have your loins girt about with the truth. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take the uh, the the uh, shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Take the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and pray always for all prayer and with all prayer and supplication for all saints. When I was out in Oak Park as pastor of the church, they invited me over to the Methodist Church for men's meeting, and it was a miracle, I guess, that I got in there. And after I gave my testimony, a man came up and he shook me by the hand, and my, how he smiled. And he says, uh, how is Dr. So-and-so getting along? How are you getting along over there? He thought I belonged on the other side of the Oak Park to the Methodist Church. The minute I told him I wasn't a Methodist, he turned away from me as though I was something poisoned. Well, you've heard him sing, I'm a Methodist till I die. Well, you better be sure, as a Methodist, when you die, you better be sure where you're going. Down south, you go down there. When I lived in San Antonio, Texas, if anybody, the Baptist church had 4,000 members, if they would go to a Bible conference at the Presbyterian church, they'd have to go back to the church for spiritual fumigation. Think of it. 
They had no more fellowship than the Samaritans and the Jews. And we have 280 denominations. And the Lord said, I pray that they might be one. And the Lord said to you to pray with all prayer and supplication for all saints. Whether it's a Methodist or a Baptist or a Nazarene or whatever they belong to, if they've been redeemed by the grace of God and baptized by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, you're a fellow member, and you're going to be united to the Lord forever and ever. And he says, pray always. Now, I never let a day go by without praying for every member of the body of Christ. Do you do that? We're going to be together forever and ever. God wants you to pray for Oh, how many prayers you can get from I went and I thought it was ham. And I went in and said, give me a half a pound of that ham. We don't sell ham in this place. I thought he was going to bite my head off. Now, they'll crucify the Lord, but they won't sell ham. That's religion up to date, isn't it? All right. If you eat ham, you're going contrary to the Bible. And uh, the book of Numbers, the 15th chapter, notice. 15th chapter of, Ad, uh, of the book of uh, Numbers. While the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. Now that man's family may have been cold. And he may have gathered those sticks to go in and make a fire, but you couldn't make a fire on the Sabbath day and cook. Notice. And uh, the Moses went to the Lord, and he said, Lord, this man, the man shall, uh, and the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall be surely put to death. All the congregations shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. They killed him. Now think of that. If you were uh, living, if you were regulated by this commandment of the Lord, if you'd go out to the links and play golf on Sunday, on Saturday rather, and take golf sticks and hit that ball, you'd be put to death. The thing I want you to get in your mind is this. There are certain things that come into the Bible, and it wasn't optional with the people whether they obeyed them. It was mandatory. That is a rather serious matter. You gather sticks on the Sabbath, you say, well, that's not a very uh, uh, great sin, but you had to be stoned to death for doing it. And uh, then in the 17th chapter of Genesis, a very clear statement here, notice what it says, the man-child in the house who is not circumcised shall be cut off from the Lord and his people. Now for 1900 years, until Cornelius was saved, no man 
could enter the congregation of the Lord who had not been circumcised. 